My name is Sud Sutherland. I worked on shows like Superman, The Flash, Batwoman, Legends of Tomorrow, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. Hello and welcome to Neil Before Pod, the podcast that really wishes they could be replaced by robots because we could get so much more done. I'm your host Craig, the real Craig, or at least that's what I've been told, and we're here to discuss season 7 of DC's Legends of Tomorrow, which may or may not be the last season, we don't know yet, but we'll talk about it. And joining me for this is also the real deal, honest, it's Chris. Hello, real Chris. An absolutely not fake robot Chris that I built for podcast purposes. Hello, real Craig, and definitely real Craig, and not a fake Craig that I created for podcast purposes. So, wait a minute. Maybe I created you as a guest on a podcast, and perhaps you created me to be a host of a podcast that you would rather be a guest on. Maybe. We'll never know. (laughs) (laughs) We'll never know until we find out, and then it makes no difference. Perhaps that's spoilers. Anyway, Legends Season 7. Before we get too spoilery, why don't you tell us what you thought of Legends Season 7 without spoiling? Without spoiling, I thought this was another strong season. It's one of the Arrowverse shows that I have continued to watch. I did have some qualms with certain bits and pieces that happened through this season. I didn't think it was as strong a finish as it was a start, but I'm sure we can talk about that when we get past the spoilers. Very succinct. Well done. (laughs) Thank you. I really liked this season. I thought they did a lot of interesting things with the format of the show, with the accepted format that we've had. They took the legends out of their comfort zone a bit and told an interesting ongoing story about essentially getting back to where they started, really, which is interesting. And there's all sorts of commentary on can they live this life forever? Do they need to move on? Is there ways that they can move on, etc.? Which we'll obviously get to when we spoil it a bit more. But I thought it was a really good season. Last season was... Not terrible, but it was not the best season that they had. But this season felt like a bit of a return to form in some ways, even if it did ditch some of the more insane episodes, apart from a couple of examples. I do miss the just random, you were just going to do something nuts episodes of Legends. Again, we'll get to that. But yeah, good season. Anything else without spoiling, or shall we just get Gideon, one of the Gideons, to launch us into the spoilers? Yes, get one of the good or evil or human Gideons to take us into the spoiler section. Gideon, do it. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Okay, now we can say whatever we want. Yay! So let's start with characters, as usual. Again, we're not break from format too much, unlike the show. We'll lump Sarah and Ava into one, because I feel like they didn't have individual arcs as such. They had more of a combined progression as a married couple and so on. So what did you think of what they did with Sarah and Ava this season, with them building up to the pregnancy and all that stuff, all the thoughts of the future, which is an interesting idea for Sarah who well was dead a few years ago so didn't think she would have much of a future if any. I think it was interesting what they did with the relationship this season. They kind of pick it up and drop it at certain points through the season because you have sort of through the reality TV show episode you have Sarah wanting to plan a honeymoon. We never got a honeymoon. We never got to get away and do our thing and do all that so I want a honeymoon. And then the we're going to be parents or we've decided to be parents thing sort of came up right towards the end of the season through the future suggestion the Gideon showing a little clip of the future element because they hadn't really had any discussion of that before and it didn't seem to me 
to be a conversation that they were having throughout unless I've missed part of it. So I didn't think the relationship was handled as well this season as it was in the previous, but maybe I'm forgetting a lot of other elements. I do think the fact that Sarah had her meltdown in this final episode and Ava was the one to pull her through it and say that they would work together and do all that, I think that was very strong. I think that was done well. But I think the way that they've gone into the baby making business <laughs> is a bit <laughs> odd in a way that only legends could do it and I can imagine some people watching the show might feel cheated out of them having a genuine experience especially being a lesbian couple trying to conceive and going through all that because it seemed from earlier on in the episode they were going to be going through it all naturally and then you get this twist of oh no actually it's going to be an alien baby and Sarah kissed Ava so then that's it it's conceived it sort of seemed to be cheating out of a more thought through way of doing it if you know what I mean building on the relationship properly instead it seemed that they've hit a fast forward button in the writer's room for it not just with the pregnancy angle but the way they've dealt with it as a couple coming to the decision it was sort of shown as a possible future and they went oh sure we're going to do that now then yeah I kind of see what you're getting at there in terms of the planning to be parents thing, that didn't really come from anywhere because I think it deliberately wasn't supposed to come from anywhere. The whole idea is they saw this glimpse at their future and then they thought, oh, we never thought we'd be parents. Quite like that idea. And then it ballooned from there. Bit of time travel bizarreness there. Did they become parents because they want to be parents? Or did they become parents because some future video showed them that they were going to be parents? Who knows? It's this question that they will never address and they don't need to address, I suppose. But that was where that came from, I think. And yeah, see what you're getting at with the whole, they were going to do maybe adoption or they were doing the IVF thing with Ava being the carrier of the child. That was going to be the original plan. And then they did the weird quirk of biology with Sarah, which gets rid of her invulnerability. So if there's a next season, she can be killed again. It resets her to what she was before, effectively add some extra stakes associated with her being in danger. Although I don't think the show ever suffered from the fact that she was invincible, really. I think they actually played with it really well. They gave us stakes in other ways associated with her. But yeah, I can see why you would want to do that. But as a statement of the celebration of the strength of the relationship, the fact that they can, because of weird alien stuff, conceive a child together, it's quite a nice little sentiment that they can both carry forward. It's that giving them something that's real and something that's theirs, especially when they have such a difficult journey to get here because Sarah was dead and then resurrected and then died but also put in a clone body that may or may not have her soul we don't know they never explained it Ava was cloned and raised by fake parents or implanted memories of fake parents so there's all that there's a lack of reality to their lives that they've been looking for and then the fact that they can have a biological daughter is a bit of reality to their lives that they've been lacking and it's definitely filling a particular void i think their relationship was also kind of in the background a little bit for a lot of the season because it's okay for it to be because it's already well established it's functional we don't need unnecessary drama we don't need them to be fighting every episode they just get on with it which is refreshing to see a particularly in a cw show think back to oliver and felicity as a couple where you were just waiting for the next thing to tear them apart yeah 100 percent. you're right they are one of the more 
functioning couples in the Arrowverse. And I think I said that last season as well. They're one of the more stable couples. Where everywhere else there's chaos, these two are strong. I wouldn't say it was a forefront storyline. I agree with you there. I didn't take the point about the natural conception and inverted commas when it comes to alien biology. But yeah, I, I guess so. I didn't see it that way, but that's true. I imagine the documentation might be difficult for someone that's come back from the dead and someone that's a clone to go through proper channels. Well, I think all that legal stuff has been sorted before now. When Rip recruited her for the Time Bureau, he would have come up with a fake credentials for Ava and Sarah would have been somehow legally brought back from the dead, I would imagine. Again, <laughs> just, just fill in it. form 44B. <laughs> the resurrection clause is fine. Just something to deal with in this universe. Oh, Lazarus Pit. Oh, uh, yeah, let me take the Lazarus Pit box. <laughs> Alien clone. We'll put that under other, shall we? We don't have that one. Then let me get this form from the DEO and fill that one in, will you? Yeah. <laughs> so, good relationship. It's always worth watching. It's always functional. I liked some of the little quirks that they did when there were the bullet blondes, for example, where Ava was very fixated on not changing the timeline. How much will it cost us to get a bus to New York? We will steal exactly that amount for a train in New York. So they went in her bank and they stole like $80, <laughs> whatever it was, $90, <laughs> just the very exact amount, but still holding up a bank. That was a good touch. And there was lots of little good character touches throughout from both of them. It's just really good to see them. And Sarah in leadership mode is always fun. And I do like the concept that they are thinking about moving on with their lives. That seems to be an ongoing theme in this season about some of the legends, at least, is can we do this forever? Should we do this forever? Should we pack this in and go live our lives? Is it one of those things that you need to have forever? And it's a common theme in legends anyway, where it seems to be about a group of people that just need fixing in some way. And then once they're fixed, they sort of move on or die Mm. in one case anyway. But everyone else... Or a lot of the other characters have gotten to the point where they think, okay, I'm ready to move on now. It's fine. I've learned everything I need to learn. So Ray settles down with Nora and leaves because he's happy and decides that that's what his life needs right at that point. John Constantine is very much the opposite there because he leaves because he's even more messed up than he was before and he has to go and just be messed up somewhere else. That's his reasoning for it. Jax leaves because he doesn't feel like he's much use without Martin Stein, stuff like that. There's always a defined reason for it. And I like the idea of, yeah, we're growing up a bit. We're not as much of a mess as we used to be and we should move on, maybe. We should find something else to do with our lives. And there was all these questions about, is there other ways to help people? Just because we pack up the timeline saving stuff doesn't mean that we can't help people. And there's definite growth from Sarah and Ava there. In fact, by the end of this season, it's one of those situations where it's hard to justify them being in the next season if there is one. Other than the fact that it ends on a cliffhanger for the Wii and it's something that needs to be immediately resolved. But once that's resolved, it's going to be difficult to justify them being around because it feels like they are at the point where it's, okay, we're done with this now. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, we're done with this now. It's fine. It served its purpose. It did what it needed to do for us. And it's time to take the next step in our lives. And that's an interesting message. It could be one of those things where their arcs ended last season, but they're still here. Why? I think you could definitely say that. And I think you could say that about all the characters. There was something about the second last episode for me in this season when they were all getting shown their futures and they all disappeared off with their key to the house so that they could meet up from time to time. Where I thought they could almost finish on this episode if they hadn't done the twist at the end of the robot duplicate, Alan. You could have almost done that and that's how it goes. Gideon, Gary and AI Gideon are now off 
fixing the timeline and the legends get to head off into all these different futures that we've now seen a snippet of. And you could have went, okay, and they're getting to meet up on Sundays to catch up and stuff. Wednesdays. Oh, what was it, Wednesdays? It was the airing time of the show. Oh, was it? <laughs> Wednesdays at nine o'clock, eight central is what they said, which is the, the airing <laughs> time of the show, which was, again, another delicious fourth wall breaking moment. I like. So we're going to meet up from time to time in the house on the Wednesdays. And I thought, oh, that's almost like a cutoff point for all of them because they've brought them all to the point where you could believe that they would go off and they would do these things. So, yeah, I guess you could have Sarah and Ava leaving the show. I think it would be a shame now because Sarah's the only OG team member now isn't she yeah. and she finally got top billing when brandon routh left and now she <laughs> might leave the show assuming it gets renewed again we'll talk about that yeah definitely and they've obviously built now more story for them going into the next season because the last season you had the sort of cliffhanger of sarah was going to propose and then gets abducted and then this season they've now left it on the tease of them going to prison and sarah's pregnant it was the season before last that ended with the abduction. Was it the season before? Last season ended with the Wave Rider being destroyed. The second to last season was the one with the proposal, and then they had the whole season through. They built up to that, and then they seemed to have set another part of the relationship in motion at the end of this season. I don't know how the sort of parent arc all work out. They've got two options, where it's either a season-long pregnancy, or it's going to be one of these things where the writers go, oh yeah, it's a very rapidly evolving alien baby, so we're going to get one episode of it as a baby, by the next episode it's a toddler, by the episode after that it's a stroppy teenager, and we're going to keep a stroppy teenager on the ship now for the rest of the show. Could happen. That's the kind of the way that I imagine it going, because I don't imagine that they're going to be carrying about a baby for an entire season. I imagine it's going to be rapid television pregnancy or very slow pregnancy through the entire season <laughs> yeah it could be that it'll be like mixed pregnancy i guess where it just lingers for a bit or maybe like mid-season i don't know they could have the kid in. Mm. there's a few options there for sure yeah what's up in the air what direction that'll go but it's definite progression for those characters and their relationship which is great complained about on flash for example that in his relationship with iris you only ever really see the milestones you don't see the day-to-day Whereas with Sarah and Ava, you do see the day-to-day constantly. You just see them mm. at odds with each other sometimes, but it's not at odds in the way that this argument dooms the relationship. It's just that they both have different stances on a particular issue. So they butt heads over that. And they did some really great stuff with that this season when they dialed it up as well during the reality TV episode, which was great with Sarah wanting to just not take life so seriously for a change. She's like, you know what? I want a honeymoon. I want to do my nails. I want to just drink in the afternoon or whatever. She wanted to just shed off that responsibility, whereas Ava became hyper-responsible as a contrast. And it was a great dial-up of their connection and where they butt heads quite often. But also the fact that they find a middle ground together is what always happens. And that's why they're both in charge, really. No, definitely. I agree with that. So yeah, good relationship. And I think Nate's probably the other most glaring example of the desire to move on because they introduced fairly early on that he wants to cohabitate with Zari 1.0. So they suggest the mansion first, the pocket dimension mansion that they have access to because the rules of time and space don't apply. So you can have multiple Zaris coexisting in this pocket dimension, but then Zari says that she's established in the totem she's got relationships there so she wants to live there which means nate has to choose between not living there and living there and ultimately decides to live there and that progression didn't take the form that i thought it was going to actually i thought there was going to be he agrees to it initially and then sleeps on it and decides it's a really bad idea and they fall out and break up over it instead they did a really measured thing where he answers his doubts he thinks about them he discusses them with people and then 
still comes to that conclusion anyway. He just has to air the fact that he has some doubts about it. And then he gets to the point where he is able to do it. And then he has that great moment where he gets rid of his steel inner slash outer skin, which wasn't really necessary. I don't get why him losing his powers means he definitely has to leave the team because how many times a season does he use his powers, really? You could get away with him not having them and still being on the show because so many of the stories don't involve him stealing up in any way. Normally because that CG, it costs the money. (laughs) And looks not very good. So don't use it very often. I did Google a little bit to find out if it was actor choice, and it was actor choice that he left. And part of the side of that to do with stealing up was the fact that he's not been allowed to change his hair for six years because they wouldn't redo the render for steel. Interesting. I didn't know that part. (laughs) So there you go. I know he decided to leave the show because his family live in Los Angeles, so he doesn't want to be away for his kids for like eight months of the year. Plus with COVID and everything, that's why Supergirl finished ultimately because children plus time away from family plus pandemic means Hmm. priorities shift and change. So he decided that he's off the show. That's not to say he can't come back because of course he will, especially if they do another season and it ends up being the final season. I imagine they'll bring him back for some kind of last hurrah like they do with these things. But yeah, I think the, the whole notion of growing up and moving on is very much well exemplified through Nate who does decide that it's time for him to move on with his life and make decisions that are for him rather than just lark around the timeline. But he has that last hang-up about, I'm going to be remembered for writing about other people's experience in the timeline rather than being remembered as a legend by himself. And he has to come to terms with that or has to understand that the measure of success isn't necessarily who knows your name or whatever. He has to define his own level of success. And he does that because he ends up realising what I did here makes a difference. It doesn't matter if everybody's talking about it or not. And it's a very similar revelation that Zari 2.0 comes to as well, where she gets away from the whole I need to be popular thing. And Nate comes to realise what's important without necessarily being seen as a hero from across history or whatever. So it was a good end point for him. And that's a character that I haven't always liked. But the last couple of seasons, I think they've done a really good job with him. And... I think they gave him a pretty perfect send-off here. I was about to say the same. I've got written down in front of me. Not enjoyed him over all the seasons, but the last couple I've been like, oh, do you know what? He's he's doing all right. When he, when he appears and when he's doing stuff, he sort of fits in more and they've written some all right stuff in there for him, especially sort of his relationship with Barad and all that sort of stuff. It's been really strong. It's a shame to be losing him because he's one of the originals now. He's one of the oldest on the team. Back when the show got its act together, he was the start of that. Yeah, he was the start of when it all turned round a bit. But even if maybe you could say that his role on the show sort of swapped about when they did the final bit of his dad with the the carnival of magical creatures and all that that was maybe another one of Nate's natural out points there but I think they've built a really good thing here in sending him off they peppered it through the season it wasn't something that they just sort of threw in at the end so I kind of appreciated it I did think it was a bit weird to do it with the stealing up at the end I kind of thought oh my god they're gonna kill him they're not gonna let him retire into the totem they're just gonna kill him off and then i was like oh thank god he lived okay that's fine it was also the fact that all it takes is mustard gas to get rid of his steel powers and it's the idea that he only has a limited 
amount of steel skin, so when it's melted off, that's it gone, it's not coming back. Yeah, whatever. What are rules to these powers anymore? That was a bit of writing hand wavium to me in a very similar way to Sarah losing her powers because of the baby. That was like, oh, right, you're doing that. And they lost one of the totems this season as well. I was like, oh yeah, so you're just unwriting as much of the superpowers and stuff as you can. I imagine it's difficult writing around some of that, but like you say, he didn't steal up that often. So many times in this show that I completely forget that they have superpowers. <laughs> <laughs> in a similar way with Astra's magic sometimes she'll cast a spell and you'll go why didn't you use that the other week where you had a very similar problem did you only google that spell after you had the problem three weeks ago so a little bit of that that goes on but yeah I definitely think it was a bit of writing hand wavy because they've never before went oh by the way you can only do this so many times or none of the dents will buff out afterwards because he's been blown apart and shot at with alien weaponry and human weaponry and all sorts of different stuff but it was a corrosive element that got him in the end anyway it is what it is <laughs> yeah and not even a weird alien corrosive element it's just mustard gas yeah how common is that <laughs> well relatively speaking you could have had gideon given one of the robots like a weird ray to disable his powers or something to fight the original legends she gives one of them a gun that takes away his steel powers or something, I don't know. Yeah, but it's fine, I suppose. They made that decision for some reason. They just wanted him to lose his powers so that there's no reason to come back. But he can just come back anyway, and he can be mostly in the same role that he was before if they wanted him to. I think he will come back again, assuming they get another season. If they don't, then no one will come back, obviously. But I would be surprised if this is the last we see of him. They're pretty good with reviving actors that have left the show as we saw in the 100th episode, which we'll definitely talk about. There's still scope there, plus we can see what Zari 1.0 is up to and what the relationship is like and how happy they are in the totem and things. And presumably he has to commute out from the totem to go and publish his book and things like that. But this season seemed to be perfectly geared around Nate as a character, at least to begin with, because they were stuck in a particular time period. He's the guy with the knowledge. He knows what's coming up. He knows what they need to avoid, what they need to stop themselves from doing etc and then he's the one that kills hoover accidentally <laughs> which again using that power that he almost never uses he steals up at the wrong moment hoover gets a bullet in the brain and then job done he's dead and nate's just thinking yep i've ruined the timeline my entire job is studying the timeline and learning about history and i've ruined it i've broken history well done mr historian but it was okay because there's a robot hoover that gets to continue on which is convenient i suppose but those early bits where it's yeah okay here's how things are supposed to go that was kind of harkening back to nate's purpose when he was first introduced on the show we've got a time traveling team and we've got a guy that knows his history that goes hand in hand really it worked especially when they were separated from Gideon, because obviously Gideon had that stored knowledge as well. So when they had the split team, you had someone with historical knowledge on either side. I completely forgot about the fact it was him that killed Hoover. That was brilliant. That was <laughs> a really good uh, inadvertent moment. And at that point, of course, you thought, that's it, everything's broken. It's only the next week where you get to see the robot. Or is it in the same episode that the robot appears? I'm trying to remember now. No, it's the next episode because he has to pretend to be Hoover on the train because they do the Polyjuice potion. That's it. <laughs> where he has Hoover's face, so they do that. And then he has to pretend to be a racist and things like that, which was kind of funny. Funny in the sense that it's kind of darkly funny. I loved it when he was interrogating the engineer or whoever it was, or he was pretending to interrogate. He was throwing chairs across the room and shouting at him and things. <laughs> it was all good stuff. Probably Nate's best season for me. Yeah, I would think so. And it's his last one. It's like, well done, Nate. Oh, and now you're alone. <laughs> so sort of alluded to Zari 2.0, 
earlier where we were talking about the fact that she finally understands that popularity isn't a measure of success and they brought it in kind of late in the game to be fair where she decided she wanted a big hero moment which isn't something that she's ever desired before but she really wanted that recognizable this is me as a hero thing it was almost that she couldn't leave the team until she got it she does get it at the end but it's also one that doesn't get noticed by anyone but her really when she uses her powers to throw the bomb away so it's not something that's necessarily Mm. recognized but it's something that she recognizes within herself and the fact that she feels like she's been a hero is the important thing but it's a great callback to the fact that she's been essentially raised to believe that adoring public is exactly what she needs in order to measure success and that's what she's measured herself against for a very very long time so Achieving self-worth for herself has always been one of her main points of character growth. And you get that with her expressing envy about Zarya 1.0, because from her perspective, the other Zarya is calm and collected and has it all together and is smart and is cool and whatever. Whereas that version of Zarya will have her own anxieties as well. And it's a common thing, isn't it? Whenever you compare yourself to someone else, you only really see what you think they're accomplishing or what you think they managed to do or the success that they managed to achieve. But you don't think about the fact that maybe they don't feel like they're doing very well. Maybe they don't feel the same way as you perceive them. They maybe feel like screw-ups or losers or whatever. And they don't go into it by giving you other Zarya's perspective, but it's not important because it's all about how she sees it. And she has to ultimately realise that, hang on, no, the only person I need to measure myself against is myself and the only acceptance I need to find is within myself and she does that by the end when she gives up the totem she's like I don't need it which is interesting because she assumes that when she sees her future I'm not wearing my totem so I'm going back to this shallow popularity driven existence and then she learns that no she doesn't she gives it up for a very different reason which I thought was a really nice if it is an end point an end point for her yeah, that's true. Again, it's given lots of these characters little outs towards the end of the season where they could retire happy, in inverted commas. But yeah, it's a slow build thing through the season. It's peppered through really, really well, which is always stuff that I like, rather than the split judgment where it's just suddenly, where did that opinion come from? <laughs> it was later in the season, like you say, but they didn't just throw it in as like a final gambit sort of bit. That's why I didn't disagree with it as much. I thought they did a good job of the character. I'm always impressed at the fact that they can swap between different versions of Zari or a Zari playing another Zari (laughs) (laughs) was particularly impressive. So props for that. Definitely. If I ever get to interview her, I'll need to ask her what the look on her face was when she saw the script where she has to pretend to be Zari 2.0 playing robot Zari, but badly. (laughs) You need to do a bad impression of this other character that you play. Go. I wonder what she thought when she read the script and thought, oh my God, no, what are they asking me to do here? (laughs) Maybe she rises to the challenge. But she does it really well. You see that these distinct characters, and even Robo Zari you didn't get much of, but you got a sense of who she was. A very limited one, but you got one. You got certainly enough to identify some traits and then identify enough of when Zari 2.0 was doing them badly. Yeah, She's a great actress. I hope she's in more stuff after this. I don't know what I want to see her in, but just something. Just give her something. Something. (laughs) Where she can be chameleonic again. I don't know what it could be. doesn't matter. Just something. A musical as well, because obviously (laughs) she can sing. A musical. A musical where she plays multiple characters. There we go. That's what we want. And a character that has to pretend to be another character that she also plays. It's going to be a very confusing musical, this, but that's what she should do. But yeah, I believe the whole desire for a hero moment thing, because it's almost like she'd finally admitted it to herself. It was something that she hadn't expressed before, because it made sense. It is all about that desire to be seen and adored, I suppose, 
maybe adored is the wrong word, but she certainly believed that in herself. She believed that she wanted to be adored by everyone. And turns out that's empty and she needs something else. And she gets that. She gets something far more valuable than that. So that's, again, great if that's an end point for her, which I imagine after the next scenario that they have to deal with, this whole prison scenario, it will be a, right, okay, that's the last zany situation I want to be in. I'm going to go back home now. Yeah, it could be, definitely. There wasn't much of Bayrad in this season. He sort of started a relationship with Astra. He did have that great moment in the reality TV show episode where he just threw it all out there. It's that capturing a real moment and he just gets very real with everyone. He just cannot keep it in anymore. It's that whole, yeah, I died and don't really talk about it, but that's messed me up. And here's how I feel about these things. I'm sick of being the laid back guy. I'm sick of being this. I'm sick of being that. And here's how I feel about this. So that was a really great step forward for him. Yeah, it was a right good step forward. The brutal bit through that show was the fact that they recast him in his own family in their reality TV show. Yeah. <laughs> that was brutal. Berard, he just kind of existed in this season. He had some good moments in there, but a lot of the time it was like, oh, and he was also there. He was a good sounding board with other characters and things, but he didn't get tons to do. There wasn't a lot of memorable things when I'm racking my brain. So, yeah, I, I kind of get that. The relationship with Astra, it was very, like, it gets picked up because we want it to be something in this particular episode, but then the next episode, it's almost as if it hasn't happened. The conversation hasn't happened. And I don't know if that was briefs to writers, where one writer for an episode is being told, you've got to feature Berad and Astra's relationship, maybe doing this, that, or the other. And then the next episode, it's not in the brief, and it's not really written in as much. Or they've cut stuff for time. It seemed really in bits part of me thought it was intentional especially at the beginning i thought it was maybe because you had Berard doubting himself as to whether she felt the same way about him or not so as they were sort of writing bits in and out through those episodes i thought oh it's because we're kind of seeing it from his side we're not really seeing astra's side of the same conversation so then it's written that way it might have been intentional it might not have but for certain parts it didn't work for me well, there was that point where he said, I do want to pursue this, but I need to figure myself out first, which was a really good, mature way of looking at it. Although that didn't mm. really come to any resolution. They just started things up after that point, And then there was a finally point, which was quite funny. But I quite like the idea of them as a couple. I think it works really well. Although the Legends team is kind of incestuous in that way, isn't it? They all kind of move around <laughs> each other. Yeah. Nate started off with Amaya and then moved to... Zari, Zari and John hooked up. Zari 2.0, that is. And John hooked up. Sarah and Ava, obviously. There was Sarah and John at one point, very briefly. Gary and Gideon. Gary and Gideon, yeah, which we'll talk about. There was Ray and Kendra. Was that her name? Hawk girl? Mm. Yeah. It was so long ago. But there was that. And then Nora, obviously, who was essentially introduced to start a relationship with him, in a way. That's one of the purposes of her on the show. That's where she ended up. Yeah, they do seem to just snake around each other. There isn't a lot of outside influence when it comes to relationships there. So it's, it's almost, haven't we paired up yet? These two. <laughs> they even try and do that with Spooner, where Zari's asking, okay, what do you think of the guys on the team? Or the girls on the team? whichever it's up to you and she just doesn't think about that in any way so they had that really good asexual coming out moment which i thought was nicely subtle where she just yeah i don't know i don't think like that maybe it's the aliens that mess me up and then zari says no it's not it's nothing to do with that it's just who you are and 
that's perfectly natural and don't worry about it. Don't feel like you're wrong in any way. And it was a really nice touch. I don't think I've ever seen in any other TV or show I watch where a character specifically identifies themselves as asexual, especially on the CW, where it is generally all about who are we going to set this person up with? What characters are going to get together by the end of this season or the end of next season or whatever? So that's a very CW thing. So it's almost a very anti-CW thing to do the opposite, where it's, I don't want any relationship. I'm fine. That's just not my cup of tea. I like that. It was great. I think some people online were probably pairing her and Astra up because they were spending a lot of time with each other just as friends but that turned out to just be a really good friendship slash platonic parental connection as well because they're almost Gideon's mother in a way or mothers in a way the two of them because they were there when she became human yeah that's true I guess there was a little bit of me at the beginning that was thinking that they were almost going to do your favorite thing the love triangle (laughs) yeah in doing it that way but yeah I think you're right I think it just developed into more of a friendship Well, they identified as being best friends, didn't they? They talked about that at some point, which is good because they're the new people, aren't they? They're the outsiders in a way. So it makes sense that they would gravitate together. And they tend to do that with the newer characters as well. Whoever the new character was before tends to take them under their wing. Zari did that with Astra, after all. That's true, actually. It is normally (laughs) the second last one in is the one showing everyone around. So you're going to have to have Gwyn showing Alan around in the next season. Yeah. Zari 1.0 showed... Wally the ropes when he showed up first. Remember when Wally was on the team? They acknowledge that in this season. He's referenced. Someone remembers him. (laughs) (laughs) Crisis didn't entirely wipe out Wally. (laughs) He's still remembered. He's still in the hearts and minds of the legends. So that's comforting, I suppose. He didn't show up in the 100th episode. Where's Wally? He's nowhere. Nowhere to be seen. (laughs) I really like the Spooner-Zari interaction generally. Clearly someone in the writer's room had identified... We haven't actually had a scene between these characters yet. They haven't interacted outside of a group situation. So we're just going to have them sit and talk to each other. What would they talk about? The fact that they have nothing to talk about. That's what they talk about. It's great. So we could talk (laughs) about makeup. Yeah, we could because I like makeup. Or guns. Yeah, yeah, I like guns. (laughs) (laughs) It was just so awkward. It's something you don't see a lot of it because normally the dialogue is very exacting and it's very purposeful and it ended up being very purposeful but the fact that they had no baseline to connect on was great. I kind of like that from the fact that it's a work relationship. What brought you together was being legends and being on the ship and everything like that and you're like, okay, I've maybe not had that many conversations. We should go and have a conversation and then it's, oh, this is difficult. We know what each other likes but we're not necessarily fans of that ourselves. How many times that you've been sat next to someone in a meeting or in a lift or something at work and you're like oh yeah how how are you doing all right yeah okay i really hope this lift moves faster (laughs) (laughs) the barometer for workplaces that i normally think of there's the sort of two tiers there's the people you can talk to when you're in the work environment surrounded by the work environment because you just talk about work and there's the people you can go out for a Mm. pint with without anyone around spooner and zari 2.0 aren't the we can go for a pint when there's no one else around type people. Mostly because I don't think either of them would drink pints. But they wouldn't just go out drinking on their own. (laughs) You wouldn't see them teaming up on a mission on their own because they have nothing in common. And it's okay to acknowledge that. And they both realise that. And then Zari tries to find that common ground by, I know, we'll talk about boys. Because we're both women. We'll talk about boys. We'll fail the Bechdel test, but we'll talk about who (laughs) we'd hook up with on the ship. And Spooner then says, nah, not interested. Okay, can work with this. What about the women? Nah, not interested. Okay, great. And then she helps her to the point of 
that self-acceptance or giving a name to the way she feels, which she didn't understand before, which again makes sense. And believing that the aliens had messed her up in that way and broken something within her and things like that was really nice touch. And Zari helps her with that. But at the same time, they're not going to sit and have a chat after that on their own again, really. It's one of those conversations that we had this and don't have to have it again. And it would be okay if we only really talk when others are around. That's just the way our relationship works. So you're dead on when you say it's a workplace connection rather than an actual defined friendship. Mm. And that's kind of about it for Spooner this season, really. She didn't do much else. She had a lot of good scenes with people. And she kind of propped up Astra. She propped up other characters. She had her coming out bit, of course. She had all that, but she didn't get a lot of solo content outside of that, unless I'm forgetting stuff, which I'm probably at. Yeah, I can't think of <laughs> the top of my head. That's fine then. That means there isn't anything. Another character that just kind of does what he does is Gary. It's Gary. <laughs> He's an alien. Alien Gary. Alien Definitely Gary. an alien. Always Definitely alien always Gary. has been an alien. <laughs> always an alien is Gary. Yep. yep. <laughs> the entire time. <laughs> Still can't get over it, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's a bridge too far. Legends, I give you so much room. So much yeah. room to do whatever you want. But that, that is just slightly <laughs> past the line for me. <laughs> it was during the 100th episode where they did a Heroes is all having fun as a group thing. And you're supposed to believe that he's always making comments about eating people when <laughs> we've never seen him do that before <laughs> they did that review. Yeah, he's always wondering what humans taste like. Yeah, he always yeah. does that. So that's scary. <laughs> he's always had these conversations. I still can't get the rules about the disguising spectacles thing. I can't get the rules. Because he comes back from the prehistoric era where he's been building a door with the cavemen. <laughs> The hair's stuck up on end and his face is all muddy and everything. And he's grown a beard in the time that he's been in the wilderness with the cavemen. How? How? <laughs> yeah, it's weird. The impression I got initially was that it was just a glamour, essentially. It just made him look human. But they did say in this season that it's some kind of biological change. Whenever he wears the glasses, it turns him into a human somehow. And then when he takes them off, his default biology reasserts itself in some way it's made up weird science uh, yeah. fiction nonsense but yeah they're doing a few somersaults to make this a thing but i did like his relationship with gideon i thought that was really good it's the fact that they were both quite childlike as well gary has had a bit of an arrested mm. development in a lot of ways and maybe that doesn't bode well for a relationship and maybe there's something inappropriate about the fact that he started a relationship with essentially a newborn if you think about it, even though she's an adult, but she's not. Yeah, they play about with Gideon being sort of childlike a lot, stumbling about. She's got all the knowledge, but she doesn't have the street smarts or the interpersonal knowledge, maybe, that a person of her age should have. And then they sort of build up the relationship with Gary, where it almost begins as him teaching relationships to Gideon and then they end up together through that conversation. Yeah. It's a bit weird. It depends on what you think of Gideon as a human character, but the fact that the show plays about with her being childlike at certain aspects and sort of experiencing things and wonder different foods for the first time and all that sort of stuff they do. So, yeah, I don't know how I feel about that. I don't think it comes from a place of malice on the screen. I quite liked it as a relationship, pairing the two of them together. It sort of gave her a confidant and someone that she could speak to throughout 
about the experience that gave Gary someone to care about through the thing. And I think it just added a little bit of extra depth for Gideon and Gary as well, which we might not have got through the show otherwise. Yeah, and then they had a really good dynamic later in the season, well, in that second last episode, where he is her tether to humanity because she's Mm. always fighting between her artificial origins and her humanity. Those two things are in conflict, and they externalise that by having the evil Gideon AI being the one that pushes her in that direction, where you've got Gary pushing her in the direction of her humanity and they come into conflict. And you have that really clinical breakdown of what love is from evil Gideon, where she talks about uh, as being a chemical imbalance that is close to despair. There's almost no difference, chemically speaking. And that's why it switches from euphoria to despair so easily, because that line is so blurred. And evil Gideon's point is, why would you bother with this? Why would you risk this? What benefit does it bring to you? And Gary ultimately decides, no, no, it's worth fighting for, etc. And that's when he gets blown out the airlock. So good for him with that revelation, but it also leaves... Gideon open to. For the purposes of the rest of this podcast, AI Gideon is evil Gideon and Gideon is just Gideon. (laughs) Everybody listening, just think about that. Whenever I say Gideon, I mean human Gideon. And whenever I say evil Gideon, I mean the AI Gideon. Let's just agree that that's the terminology right now, because otherwise it's confusing. Anyway, so you had that and I thought that was really interesting. So a lot of this season was about for Gideon learning how to be human and learning how to accept being human because she hadn't lost any of her artificial intelligence side of it she still had all the knowledge she still had all the analytical ability so somehow she was able to still do these kind of complex calculations and still had an encyclopedic knowledge of the timeline and all that stuff she hadn't lost any of that but what she didn't understand was how feelings worked and she didn't understand how the feelings she was having worked so there was all that build up throughout and then she had Astra kind of guiding her and Astra's a really bad guide because she also doesn't really understand how her feelings work because she's come from a place of arrested development as well her childhood was stolen from her in hell so she's learning that at the same time so they learn from each other and then you had the Astra being an overprotective mother thing later on it's like you're not going out in that dangerous situation I won't allow it because I feel maternal for some reason right now so there was all that I thought the Gideon stuff was great because it did really dig into what do these feelings mean and how do we process them and are they worth having or not and ultimately of course it's a CW show emotion is everything isn't it it's about feeling those emotions and understanding the pain because she had that point where she could have removed all the memories associated with the pain therefore removing the pain but then she can't understand what happiness is without the pain to contrast it doesn't realize that on her own it's Astra that gives her that lesson by forcing her not to undergo the procedure it's in her mind where it's i don't want to forget all the good stuff but i have to in order to forget all the bad stuff so she's kind of willing to make that sacrifice and doesn't really understand that as a human being you have to take all the bad with the good yeah that was so true it was a really good development towards the end i think amy louise pemberton did a great job through the season playing with that development with Gideon in the first few episodes she's got the knowledge but she's not able to speak she's not able to communicate that well and then they slowly build up and just formed a really good team member through that and I got to be honest when it was announced what was going to be going on I wasn't sure it was going to work but I think they did a really good job with it through this season. Oh yeah she was great and I liked all the the little comedic bits that she had when she was figuring out about the fixed point it's like time is a living thing that fixes itself no, I can't have that. That's against <laughs> everything I really... Oh, it is someone that's interfering. My life makes sense again. <laughs> <laughs> and she says little things that could be seen as kind of 
dodgy and then she just laughs and she's like yeah i'm quite funny actually things like that i thought they did a great job of that and then in the reality tv episode when she had her humanity stripped away because again the reality tv one which we'll talk about in more detail on its own because it's such a great episode she ends up playing the game because as i understand it when reality tv even though i've not watched much of it is some people play a game some people are manipulating others on the other side again we'll talk more about it i suppose but she goes straight into the unfeeling nastiness of playing everyone against each other and she does such a good Mm. job in that performance of I'm just going to be really sadistic and play with people's emotions and mess people about and the range that she exhibits through her performance in this season is great and it's a shame that they kept her just as a voice for so long when you see what she's capable of in this short run of episodes yeah it's so true yeah she was really fun when she was building all these different alliances with everyone else and making sure to leak information from one side to the other very good yeah all that good stuff and then the timeline stuff obviously she knew what they could and couldn't change or shouldn't shouldn't change and like i say they externalized the conflict with evil gideon Mm. being everything that she could be and shouldn't be and then she had to find that balance again like everybody else she had to find that balance and if the show does end there is no real sense of her finding a place yet but it's the same with every new legend they all have to find their place they all have to find a way to belong they'll have to learn There are still characters that need to still learn stuff, I think. So you've got Spooner, Astra, Gideon, Gary kind of knows himself, really, and Gwen. They're the ones that are still in dire need of fixing, aren't they? They're the ones that still need to figure themselves out before they can make that next step, whatever that may be. Mm. Would you watch a show that was just them? Well, you would, but would it be as good? Probably not, because you need those big personalities don't you you need the sarahs you need the the zaris everybody else i don't think they would be strong enough to carry the show on their own i think legends works because of its ensemble i think it's a very delicate maneuver removing people from that cast as much as they've swapped certain characters in and out over time i think it's a very delicate maneuver when they do it and sometimes it takes a bit of self-writing or self-fixing in the end to try and get it all back on track again once they remove a character from that dynamic yeah they have to establish new dynamics and that's probably why you get Mm. them hooking up with each other in different configurations because it's (laughs) it's an easy way to establish development in that way but i don't know bayrad as well yeah bayrad feels like he could move on at any time he can't be caged i suppose he doesn't necessarily need any more fixing as such he's just along for the ride and enjoying it but yeah it could be a very different configuration if they keep it going it's one of those shows that you could have an endlessly rotating cast but i do think you need a bit of continuity and i suppose there would be that continuity if those characters I mentioned did stick around, but at the same time, some of the stronger players would be away, which might change things a bit too much. Because remember when there was a lot of theories flying around that we have more spare parts in the Arrowverse that could be in this. What about Nyssa? Or what about John Constantine, who ended up being on the show? That one ended up happening. But Mm -hmm. Nyssa, Al Ghul, could have been one of them, I suppose, if they'd really wanted to. She would have been a bit too Sarah-like, I guess, in some ways. Just a no-nonsense assassin. But she would have taken up beekeeping or something like that. They'd have come up with some weird character development point. Would you ever have thought that Heatwave, the guy with a flamethrower on the Flash, would turn into like a sci-fi smut author? No. No one <laughs> would ever have predicted that. No, you wouldn't predict that. But if you were introducing a character like Nyssa, you almost need to do it in a season with Sarah in it to help with the transition. Because it's like assassin to assassin, let me explain how I've changed by being a legend kind of thing. You need almost that to happen rather than it being a hard swap. Like you say, there is a load of 
characters out there that they could pull in as members of the Legends or bring them in for a season or something. And there is the potential for them to do that next season in a certain way. But really don't want to see Sarah and Ava leave in the leadership role at the moment. Because Sarah, I think, is like the connective tissue who's been there from the beginning. That final cast member, if they chop that, does the whole thing come down? (laughs) I don't know. They can all stand by themselves, these characters. It's just very difficult to picture. Yeah, it's a dynamic that you don't really want to imagine right now. I suppose in the configuration I was talking about, Gideon would have to be the one in charge of that group, quote-unquote in charge. Although Astra would think she was in charge. Yeah, so you would get Gideon would be in charge because... Technically, it's still her ship, I guess, <laughs> at the moment. And then Astra, as her mum, inverted commas. I don't know how you would move it around. No, it'd be a difficult one. I think it would be very gradual over the season if they did it. I do trust them. They've earned enough of that, apart from the fact that Gary's an alien. <laughs> We're doing what we did with Spider-Man, aren't we? We're speculating about a thing that they might never make or they didn't make yeah we're writing our own tv show while we're speaking about another tv show yeah (laughs) we're writing season nine of legends where all the characters (laughs) leave apart from these ones (laughs) you've got booster gold on the cast as well why not he thinks he's in charge too that could be a fun dynamic actually the show started as here's a bunch of spare parts from other corners of the arrowverse that we're just throwing in this blender and we'll see what happens and season one didn't really do it that well but season two did it brilliantly but it's not a bad idea in principle because all over the Arrowverse there are these characters that have appeared every now and again and they appear and disappear and they fade into the background or they maybe show up for one-shot appearances we all thought that Ray was essentially going to be replaced by Ryan Choi during Crisis because they very pointedly set up the whole he could be the next Atom type situation and they still could do that to be fair he's still out there he's still on the board he was in an episode of Discovery, the actor, by the way. He, he was an alien in Discovery. He's in Vancouver, I'm guessing. He could just be on the show, assuming he wants to. I'm not going to make his career decisions for him. <laughs> Terms and conditions apply, yeah. <laughs> it's like we talk about with the Marvel casting, or just any comic book casting, really. The fans have decreed it, so we're just going to bundle this person in a van, and they're now going to do five seasons of television. <laughs> because we decided that that's their role now. They have to do this job, because we want them to play this role. Doesn't matter if they want to. I think it would be very bold of them at this point to put another character that requires CGI into the programme. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, What was successfully done is stripped away all the superpowers of this show. We don't have to spend any money on that anymore. We can afford CGI Alien Gary. We can afford occasional magic. And that's it. That's all you're getting. (laughs) No more. (laughs) I don't know. They could put Ryan on the team, but he just doesn't shrink ever. He's not the Atom yet. He's just some guy. (laughs) He's just there. It's why are you here? I don't know. But that's the thing. He doesn't really need fixing because he has like a wife and kids. Unless Crisis got rid of them and all. You never know. Except it didn't because he was being hunted in the post-crisis universe and still had his wife and kids, so he's fine. So yeah, he doesn't need to be whisked away and do stuff. Bring in the young Martin Stein for a season. There's no reason why he couldn't. That's uh, season nine of a show that might never get made, so it doesn't really matter. We have one more character left, really. Gwyn, the new guy. Matt Ryan taking on a different role. He gets to be Welsh. Oh, so Welsh. He is the most Welsh he has ever been, which is great with his big beard and everything. What did you think of Gwyn as a character? At the very first, I was like, this is going to get really confusing because I'm going to be constantly thinking about Constantine. But see, by a couple of episodes in of that character being there, completely forgot Constantine and went in with Gwyn. I think they did that 
really well. The story of what encouraged him to invent time travel as a way to go back to save Alan and to correct what he thought was a mistake and the fact that in that final episode you see that he's actually remembered events wrong. He remembers himself being really weak and, and running away, but he actually wanted to stay there with the guy that had got shot. His own memory of it was all sort of warped. I think they did a really strong through line with him through the season, especially the PTSD elements through it as well. When they were getting involved in battles or there was explosions going off and everything like that, where they were sort of showing the the post-traumatic stress that he had through it, the flashbacks to the war. I thought they did that character really well, and I think Matt Ryan pulled it off. It's another one that I kind of doubted. I didn't doubt the fact that he was an actor good enough to do it, but maybe doubted more the fact that they would be able to write it well enough that I would sit there and forget Constantine almost forget that that actor also played Constantine so yeah I think Gwyn was a good addition for this I don't know if Gwyn is done at the end of this season in my head and maybe I'll come back on a podcast at the end of next season if it happens and say I was wrong (laughs) again I don't know what they would do with him next season because this was all about his motivations for everything in this season was to see Alan to rescue Alan he was getting dragged about all over the place and despite his initial reluctance he then realizes what he can do and that was a good through line for that character this season but I don't know what you would then do with him in another season of the show as much as I think Matt Ryan's done a great job here. One of the things they always do on Legends with a new character is have an episode, essentially, or a series of episodes where they decide what is going to be their function on the show, what are they good at, what do they bring to the team from a practical point of view. And they had him as the military strategist, which I think worked really well. So he had the maps out and the figures, and he was like, you go here and you go here, and then we'll do this and all that. So. Mm they had him just be that military strategist and that worked that's fine if he does stay on the show in another season which hopefully he will that'll be what he does he'll help them come up with the plans that then go wrong that's what will happen because that's the way it works right it's here's what we're going to do we're going to do this this and this and this and then boom that all goes wrong so they really need to do a proper heist episode where Gwyn comes up with that or like an A-team type situation where <laughs> he comes up with a plan. I think that's kind of what they were getting at there anyway. Was it the fixed point one where he was helping them strategize everything? There was a couple of moments, I think, where he did it. I feel like the fixed point was one of them where it's like, here's what's going on here. Here's all your points of having to save the Archduke and whatever. So he did that. And yeah, that's good. But the motivation of inventing time travel to save this lost love that he had, perfect motivation. And then him coming to realize that because of the way time travel works, because The rules are totally consistent and have never contradicted each other in any way (laughs) whatsoever between this show and The Flash and anywhere else they've done time travel in the Arrowverse. Never a contradiction. Always perfectly consistent. But the way it works is if you prevent Alan's death, then time travel will never exist. Therefore, you can't go back and prevent Alan's death in the first place. So that's obviously a paradox and you can't really do that. But then he comes to accept, but we can save his life. All we have to do is bring him to this point, which means I have to be alone and grieving for years in order to build a time machine in order to save him. So there's that reward he gets at the end of it almost, or at least he thinks he's going to get a reward. But he has to accept the fact that he has to go through hell to get there, which I think is great. And it's quite a heartbreaking moment when it's like, but then you'll be, and he's like, yeah, alone. And he just flatly says it as if to say, yep, nothing I can do about it. I'm just going to have to deal with it. But it's fine for him in a way because he's already dealt with it. It's more that he's resigning his 
past self to go through that again. And he kind of sees his past self, so he recognises that his past self will have to go through that and will forget about his grace under pressure and his heroism in that moment where he cradled that dying soldier and things like that. So he does accept that his happiness comes with pain. It's almost the same revelation that Gideon gets to, actually, mm. where she realises you've got to take the bad with the good. So it's in order to get this good thing in his life, he has to accept that all those bad things will happen. So it's years of abject misery, years of doubt, years of everything, years of his reputation being sullied because... Thomas Edison thinks he's a crackpot because we should all listen to Thomas Edison because he was totally a nice guy. He was not a historical arsehole in any way. I thought that was a really good arc for him. And then you had the religious angle, the fact that he's openly gay, but also religious. So he kind of thinks that he's completely at odds with his own religion. And you had that awkward bit where Ava weighs in on his faith, but she doesn't really understand it. She makes the point about, I can't imagine any God would stop anybody from loving whoever they wanted to love. But at the same time, she doesn't understand what faith is because she doesn't follow it in that way. She doesn't get why he is so devoted to his own religion, why he believes what the way he believes. So she's ill-equipped to comment on it, really. So I find that bit a little bit awkward. But the messaging was great. No, just love who you want. And it's not a betrayal of anything, even though she doesn't understand the religious doctrine that he's conflicted about. No, that's true. And it was almost his take of my sadness is my presence for the love that I'm denied that I shouldn't have. This is my punishment. Yeah, like God is punishing him for being gay, essentially. Exactly. This is my punishment. I was never supposed to be with him. This is how I've been punished. And I totally get the way that they handled that in the show. And I thought they did it well. It's one of those things. Jins can be one of the most silly shows on television, but then they can also handle issues like that in the very short runtime that they've got to do it. Yeah, they get the balance perfect. And they do have a lot of those really gut-wrenching moments. I loved the Chernobyl episode when him and Zari 1.0, who was there at that time for some reason, they sit and chat about coming from traumatic backgrounds because it's easy to forget that she came from a totalitarian future where Argus had subdued Mm. metahumans and things. She totally gets where he's coming from. She's been in the trenches, so to speak, just as he is. And she really helps him express that. And that was, again, another powerful moment. And it's one of those things that Legends does so well. Here's two characters, we'll put them together and we'll find the thing that allows them to relate to each other. And we'll use that to form the emotional basis of the storytelling. And then that allows you to get on with the silly antics that are happening elsewhere because there is that depth, there is that effort that's been put into everything that they're doing. And they don't always hit the target, but they do more than they don't for me. Yeah, I agree with you on that. And I loved his little retro time machine. That was quite a cool little prop that they had. It made me think of a little birdhouse that you would keep a parrot in. It was like one of those, (laughs) but scaled up. That is what I kind of thought. But I liked the aesthetic of it, the kind of flashing lights, the big handle and everything to make everyone work. The fact that Gideon had to wear, what was it? It was like a colander with lights and everything around it to make it work. It was a lot of fun, that time machine. There was a bit of a TARDIS vibe to it because there is that kinetic to pull the lever type thing. Pull the lever and the flashing light on the top, yeah. Yeah, it's cool. It was a nice little prop. The simplicity of this is all we've got as well. It's not perfect. It's going to take us to the wrong place. It took them to hell. It took them to Chernobyl. (laughs) Basically took them everywhere that they didn't want to go. And then the genesis of the time travel thing as well. It's good to see where that came from. And the fact that it was motivated by that was a nice touch as well. I didn't really need to think about who invented time travel or why it got invented, but I'm glad they did. It's 
something that came from somewhere, obviously. So, yeah, really nice touch there. It was a nice way to pull him in as a character. It made sense then for them to go and hunt this person down. Yeah, it's just, luckily we're in a time period where some guy's about to invent time travel. Mm. And it's going to happen really soon, so we'll just deal with that. And then it was the idea of, okay, we're fine to take him out of the timeline because he's not recorded as succeeding, he's just recorded as being important in the development of it. So he succeeded, but just... It's as long as the documentation's found. The documents relating to time travel had to stay, but he didn't need to. My assumption from that was that he must have went back, or every time he goes back to save Alan, the paradox thing would kick in. And that's why he's just never found afterwards. I don't know. Or it's a predestination thing where the legends always found him. I don't know. Yeah. How does time travel work? We should record a podcast about time travel in TV shows and film, and the rules about them. We should. In fact, we should record that and then we should probably do another one because things have <laughs> Yeah, we need to do then. another other one. <laughs> another one, even though we haven't done the first one yet. Yeah, we haven't recorded the first one, but it is available in your <laughs> feeds and there's probably a link in the show notes. How it got there, probably. we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. We haven't reached a point in our timelines where we record it yet. Even though <laughs> I think in that one we only talk about Legends Season 2 for some reason. Uh, probably, yeah. That's <laughs> probably the earliest that it was, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that's way back. God, that's a throwback, the one that we bring up every now and again. The <laughs> timelines are as messed up as the legends are, but yes, we're fine. So let's get on a bit of plotting. We've jumped through characters. We'll get back to characters as we talk about plotting as well. But what did you think of them being stuck in the 1920s for a good four or five episodes, I think it was? It was quite a while. And then them sort of slowly incrementing their way through the timeline after that. Like I said in the pre-spoiler amble, there was a bit of a format shift for the show because they couldn't go where or whenever they wanted. They were stuck, so they had to deal with what they were dealing with and things stretched out for multiple episodes because they were stuck where they are. But did you think of that approach? Did you think it was refreshing or did you get a bit frustrated with the fact that there's no Wave Rider, get back to the Wave Rider, hurry up? I really enjoyed this. As you know from talking to me about Arrow and things, it was like when they did the prison arc in Arrow. Also season seven, funnily enough. Was that also a season seven? Yeah. Oh, there we go. Where they did the thing, and it happens at the end of the season as a cliffhanger of he's getting arrested and going to prison. You're like, oh, well, in the next episode, it'll be, right, that's you out on bail. Or we've got a workaround, we need you out. And they stuck with it, and they actually did a run through it. And I thought it was almost going to be the same with this. A bit like they did at the end of this episode where the Wave Rider gets blown up by a Wave Rider and then the Wave Rider comes back in and lands and they get back on it again and go, oh, well, that would have been chaotic or something. They'd make some <laughs> joke about it. Or it would be a one-episode thing where it's like, we need to charge a time courier with lightning or something. And then they would have a time courier and then it would all be done. Instead, they stuck with it and I really enjoyed it. It just sort of worked. The whole bullet blondes thing that they ran through it where initially it was, what are we going to call them? And then the name stuck <laughs> and that it just ran through the whole bit replacing historical figures with robots every time they killed one off <laughs> in their efforts to not impact the timeline all these robots kept turning up to deal with the bodies of the, the people that they were duplicating I, I think it gave them the opportunity to do a lot more with the characters as they were running through 
it got rid of the infinite resources of the Wave Rider. We can have any costume we want. We can have any food we want. We can travel anywhere in the globe or in time that we want. So it meant that they had to do these little, we turn up in town, we solve a problem in an attempt to get to our next destination, but then we get tied in and help other strangers along the way. The fact that they set up a speakeasy in Constantine's hellhouse. They started making money selling all the booze in the fridge that constantly generates whiskey. I just loved bits like that. I thought they did the aesthetic really well too, building all those different sets because it wasn't one and done episodes. I thought they really did the aesthetic well and the costumes well through the whole thing. They've always done that well in Legends generally where the period specific outfits obviously I don't know an awful lot about dressing of the period in whatever period they're in but they always seem to do a decent enough job. The closest analogue is Doctor Who but Doctor Who has all the BBC costume drama wardrobes Hmm. lying around that they can dip into whereas legends maybe not maybe the cw isn't necessarily huge on period drama stuff but yeah they usually do a good job and i think they spent quite a bit of time in that pre-war era because it's not the first time they've done world war one they did that when tolkien was helping them find the spear of destiny Hmm. and things like that so 1920s they've kind of done that they did a prohibition era one before with al capone and so on i don't know what year that was though I don't know history that well. But yeah, I feel like it's not the first time they've been in that particular time period. It looks authentic enough, at least to my eye. I didn't question it in any way. And yeah, like you say, they always found themselves something to do as they were progressing. You have the Speakeasy episode, which gives Zari an opportunity to use her skills in order to help someone. Because it's them that inadvertently shut down his business because the mob come looking for a cut and he's not getting the merchandise from the right place. So they shut him down and... It's their responsibility to fix that. And that brings in another one of the themes over the season as well, the whole idea of the merits of fixing the timeline, of improving things. And you had that with Gideon in the final episode where she was like, yeah, fix the timeline. I've pushed women's rights back another 150 years, just like it was before. Great. Really making a difference here. But it was these little differences they were making to people's lives that were, yes, changing the timeline, but they were also making positive changes to the timeline. Legends are set in an alternate reality anyway, so it doesn't matter if their history perfectly aligns with ours. Because mm. they had that whole women in the workplace episode, which accelerated the women's rights movement, the workers' rights movement, by a number of years. Because we're going to do this in every factory because it works here. And then, oh no, evil legends are here to kill us because we're going <laughs> to change the timeline. That kind of stuff. It's hilarious how, note that didn't occur to anybody. It was only when Nate was like, yeah, that's not supposed to happen for another 10 years or whatever it is. And, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> and then they get gunned down and Bishop dies, thankfully. Thankfully, we didn't have to put up with too much more of him. They kept finding reasons to have plots, so I didn't feel like they were killing time in any way. Sometimes when you watch a TV show where they're stuck in a place or they're heading to a place it's got another episode of them doing this when we talk about discovery star trek discovery we'll probably talk about that how they spent one too many episodes not doing the thing that we really want them to be doing but in this show i was happy for them to continue with the ride there was maybe slight frustration in waiting for gwyn to be introduced because we knew he was coming and that's something that we have a problem with anyway with the CW telling you what they're going to do with these shows ahead of time. Matt Ryan will be back next season and he's going to be playing a completely different character. He's going to be playing a scientist that invents time travel and then they outline that that's their objective in the first episode or so. And 
then we spend a few episodes waiting to introduce him, but we know he's coming. It's one of those things that could have been a nice surprise for him to turn up and be like, oh my God, it's Matt Ryan. I did not expect this at all, but mm. there we go. But I didn't feel like we were just waiting for that to happen. I didn't feel like it was something that needed to happen any sooner either. I think we probably discussed this last season or offline between seasons, that pretty sure it was all going to be back to normal before the 100th episode, and it wasn't. They actually made the 100th episode a big part of this we're stuck here story and they made it a good personal Gideon story. So that was a really nice touch. Like I said, I was convinced it was going to be maybe a one episode, two episode thing. They have one episode where they need to get a time courier and a second episode where they find the wave rider again and find out who it was that blew them up and it's resolved. It was that that I was kind of expecting, like maybe a couple of episodes thing. But the fact that they stuck with it, I thought, was really good. It just made a change. It was a bit of a palate cleanser to the beginning of the season because it took out some of the usual stuff and spiced it up a little bit. I enjoyed that they did that. I was totally with you when they took out Bishop. I was sitting there going, I don't want Bishop to be hanging about as the villain through the rest of this. And he wasn't really the villain. That was the thing. You kind of knew that, oh, Gideon's just taking a load of them at this point. She's got him into the position where, nope, it's in your contract. This is you now. You don't get to have your revenge. You're now following the timeline and following all the rules. I like that. The ejector seat toilet was a bit weird. But it was perfect. But perfect at the same time. (laughs) Yeah, it was good. And Bishop was okay this season, actually, but he was a means to Mm. an end. To the point that I actually feel like they got rid of him too quickly because it seemed like he was going to become a legend in of himself because it was about him becoming a better person. And then it just turns out, we fixed the timeline by putting your robot duplicate in the place of you so that last season can happen, which is a bit strange. But there was all sorts of shenanigans around that. So the Bishop we saw last season wasn't the real one, but... It was never the real one anyway because there were so many clones of him and he 3D prints himself over and over again. It's the distinction between robot and organic clone, I guess. We never really get an explanation for that and we're never going to, so there's no point in dwelling on it. (laughs) But I'm glad they didn't overuse him. It was at the end of the 100th episode, wasn't it? Or it was during the 100th episode they revealed that he was kicking about and doing stuff and it's like, God this guy again yeah that that was the point was like oh he, he really annoyed me in the last season so i was like i don't want him hanging about this season now as well but yeah they sort of fast forwarded that a little bit yeah the extended arc the hoover stuff the edison robot luring the evil legend so they can steal the wave rider so they get a new wave rider that's the same as the old one basically except gideon has little dots that they can focus the camera on now when she's speaking so they don't have to spend money on the hologram all the time that was the only really major difference in the second wave rider i think I wonder if they replicated the cool glasses that Sarah has that are also coasters. <laughs> I always like those. Whenever they're drinking a whiskey and it's this glass that also has a built-in coaster. Yeah, Bishop and Evil Gideon was a good dynamic. I like that Evil Gideon was just using him and then got rid of him when he became inconvenient. And then making her robot legends was good. And I really liked that episode that focused on the evil legends. However, it ended up being a pointless episode because it didn't amount to anything. Because they really set up Robo Sarah is starting to question her purpose, starting to question her identity. They all learn that they're robots and not the original legends, etc. And then they get erased. But I thought when they came back, there would be that whole discovering their humanity again, somehow. And then they just didn't, they didn't do anything with it. So it made that episode largely redundant. It was fun seeing the actors play exaggerated versions of their characters. But like you say, the actual stakes in that episode kind of got 
unwritten robot Sarah discovering her true purpose I thought the next episode or the next time that we see that they're going to be able to get through to Sarah because even though she's been updated and changed there'll still be a little bit of that there in the background because she was the one that did realize that what they were doing was wrong or the wrong way to go about it and the others just went oh no we'll just take upgrades and we'll be way better than the real ones but she was the one that didn't want that so yeah it was a shame because it was a fun episode and i think if you just view it as like a fun one-off thing that they did then it was good. But if you wanted it to play further into the story, it didn't really add up to much. And then the robot legends didn't really get up to much when they had the fight with them either. It gave them a chance to sort of bounce off and do a couple of gags and things, but it wasn't the strongest stuff. They also had dumbed them down to make them a easily defeatable threat. They ended up just falling for tricks that were just stupid. Robo Gary was convinced that Spooner was the robot one. Yeah walked into the explosive trap, things like that. So there was all that. They had to become idiots in order to have them dispatched in that way. Whereas I thought they were going to do something more deeply existential as well. And it really sets up a interesting obstacle for the legends as well, because if this is to be their final challenge, then what better way for them to end what they're doing than facing up against themselves or this exaggerated version of themselves, basically holding up a mirror to them and getting them to question these things there was a few things they could have done there that they didn't bother doing certainly the existential identity stuff they're just dumb robot versions of them really convincing robonate to take the fixed point place just by tricking him and forcing him into that was kind of pointless it was just playing to the ego wasn't it yeah and robo sarah was almost a non-entity really she didn't do very much and so on it wasn't good enough compared to what it could have been. I don't think I would have been as harsh on it if they hadn't had that episode that gave you that suggestion of where they were going to go with this plot. If they just introduced them and then they'd just been these shallow antagonists, I'd have been okay with it because it would have allowed me to focus on Evil Gideon more rather than give me an episode where, oh, look, these robots are questioning their place in the universe as well, just like the real legends are. And what's going to happen when they encounter their real selves? Are they going to start wondering what else they could be, stuff like that. They set up all that and they just did nothing with it, which was just a shame. It really was. I don't know if it was there more as a production wheel spin episode than anything else, because it meant they could reuse the sets that they had already built and a lot of the standing stuff that they already had in order to shoot. I don't know if maybe that was partly the reason for it being an entire episode rather than something that they scattered in. Because you almost could have had them chopping between the two sets of legends throughout and sort of hinted at their presence throughout. I don't know. Maybe that would have been a bit too much. Or you could have just had them turn up and just be the shallow mirrors of themselves and just have fun with that. Yeah. Let's let Nick Zeno, Nate, do his Arnie impression whatever that was hilarious though it was very funny he was just huge and dumb and when you injured him he did an arnie impression for some reason (laughs) (laughs) why does that happen it doesn't matter it's hilarious just cause (laughs) it's just funny but the episode itself was good and like we said tala ash getting to do another version of zari the sort of reclusive hacker version of Zari, which was a nice departure for her. It definitely gave them stuff to play about with. I wish they could have done more with it, but unfortunately it was probably one of the little bits that just didn't work this season. Yeah, and I think if they just ignored that and just went with the evil Gideon thing and made her the focus, these robots aren't anything because they ended up not being anything. They're just 
tools that get used in preserving the timeline. They don't have any agency. Fine. Because on the front of Evil Gideon, she was one of the better villains or the more consistent villains that they've had in Legends. Because a lot of the time you don't get the villain revealed until almost three quarters of the way through the season a lot of the time or if you do it's lots of sort of patchy and they don't have much of a coherent plan or there's no reason for them to be doing what they're doing whereas evil gideon they sort of established very well why gideon would be going about trying to take out the legends the emotional side the bit of protect the legends learn from the legends was taken out and she was just the cold I'm going to fix the timeline. It doesn't matter what the consequences are as long as the timeline is exactly as it's supposed to be. Yeah, it was very much the core programming, wasn't it? There was no Mm. nuance to it. There was no compassion to it. There was no relatability to it. It was just, this is my programming and I'm going to carry it out no matter what. And then she ended up going too far down another road as well in terms of, okay, I've grown beyond this programming, but I'm still going to carry it out. I consider this human version of me an obstacle that needs to be extinguished. This thing isn't even me because you had that whole thing about the protocol of Gideon can't destroy itself. And then Mm. she got to the point where she didn't consider the human version to be her anymore. So she was able to harm. And obviously it's a good way to purge the AI from the wave rider by plugging her into a body so that they can just use the wave rider next season just normally assuming they get another season again but it was a great progression of that arc and yeah she was a great villain and bishop was like well i was on the wave rider before i took a backup of gideon's software or whatever when did you do that why did you do that what made you think to do that when you were there under constant supervision the last time you were there i don't know whatever also i've just built a wave rider which was fine because i had the blueprints as well Apparently. Gideon was able to share the blueprints and design a wave rider. Yeah, okay, cool. It's not something I'm going to bother too much about or apply too much thought to, because if you do, you'll just drive yourself mad because you don't really need to think about it. But in terms of the character stuff and the villain plot, she was a great villain. And it was great having human Gideon there as a contrast as well. Yeah, definitely. Because it showed you how far Gideon had come from that initial season. But the thing is, every time Legends does a bit of a throwback that way, you see how far it's come from what the intent was in season one to what Legends actually is now. Definitely, yeah. Something that they set up at the end, you get the introduction of Booster Gold, which was a, I'm not going to say a surprise. One, because... It was rumoured heavily prior to that that Donald Faison would be on the show and that he would probably be playing Booster Gold. So as soon as he showed up, I was like, okay, is this guy going to be Booster Gold? And then as soon as you saw the pattern on his golf balls, I was like, yeah, it's Booster Gold. Fine. Ah, I didn't click on it from that point, but I think he had talked about it on the Fake Doctor Real Friends podcast. I think he slipped what character he was going to be in stuff oh, in there as well. I think so, yeah. I'm sure it was talked about at some point that he was doing a Berlanti thing and then it was something about Booster Gold. I'm not 100% sure. He might have not broken it there, but definitely a hint about it. I do like Donald Faison and I think it was energetic, zany character to throw in at the Legends. I wasn't quite keen about him playing golf in World War One. That didn't quite sit well with me. I could go down one angle, which is Chris being picky and say, where the hell does he get a golf club and all the golf clothes and stuff when they go into the time loop can they just pick up whatever they want and take it into the time loop with them because i always thought they just reset at the beginning of each cycle so where the hell does he get a golf club and everything in at the beginning of the time loop i just thought it was a little bit because they've been tasteful and inverted commas with what they've done with the time travel they've been sensitive around those 
kind of time periods that they've went into. You've got Gwyn on one side, and I've said how well they did things like the PTSD and everything. And then at the end here, you've got Booster Gold playing golf in the trenches that just didn't quite seem right. It tonally didn't seem right. He's kind of supposed to be an insensitive jackass, though. That's what they were getting at. Yeah. Yeah, it is quite an insensitive thing to be doing. But the fact is, he's probably been doing it so long that he's completely desensitised to the horrors of World War One because he's just been stuck in mm. this loop doing this job. And he makes his own fun in any way. But yeah, I can see where you're coming from there, I think. It's a fair point. And even though it isn't a one-to-one comic book adaptation of Booster Gold, I really like the whole idea that he's seen as a bit of a joke for a lot of his appearances. He's nobody's favourite hero. When he's on the Justice League, they give him the crappy assignments, that kind of stuff. And then this, it's you get in a lot of jobs where people are promoted to the point of incompetence, as in we'll stick them in this job where they can't do any damage and we'll just leave them there because it'll be too costly or too much hassle to get rid of them. So in the case of Booster Gold, we'll stick them in a fixed point that no one will ever try to change because if they change it, they will wipe out the time travel that let them try to change it in the first place. <laughs> Nobody's going to come here. And I like that realisation. It's like, hang on, I'm here. My job is pointless. What's all this about? I thought that was a great touch. And Again, I already knew it was Booster Gold because the rumours and then the golf ball thing that had the pattern on it and so on. But when they doubled down on the, the fact, my job is utterly useless. They're laughing at me by putting me in this job. I was like, yeah, it's Booster Gold. That's completely him. I get what you're saying about them introducing the character and doing it that way. So maybe it'll make more sense. It was just one of those bits where as I was watching it, I was like, eh, this is a little bit. Maybe viewing it through our current times lens as well maybe added a bit to that but yeah i definitely think again we keep saying this assuming another season i think he would be a good fit that kind of energy on the team would probably be quite interesting yeah and i love how the legends are all notorious as far as he's concerned he knows them all he recognizes them all he's like yeah sarah you're great what's up gary thought that was a really nice touch how he just went through them all gwen i don't know you I don't know who you are. Oh, you're the inventor of time travel. Oh, crap. My job's pointless. I'm just going to steal your ship and fly away. That was really good. And it answers a question that I had earlier in the season when they introduced the whole concept of a fixed point. Who is arranging for people to man these fixed points to be in charge of defending them? Then There's another organisation that's apparently keeping an eye on the timeline that we didn't know about before. So we've had the Time Masters, then the Time Bureau, then whoever these guys are. I don't know who these people are, but I don't know if the writers know who they are yet. (laughs) (laughs) It has the feeling of, yeah, that's next season's writer's problems. (laughs) Who is this organisation? Just some guys with guns for now. It's fine. It's guys with guns and some sort of organisational power to police time. So we'll come up with an idea of time cops or something for the next season. Which is fine because... I wasn't prepared to accept that time wraiths were forcing people to wear a device and keep an eye on a specific event in time to make sure that it stays the way it is, make sure that no one changes it. Because the time wraiths seem to be this force of nature, really. They're not sentient. They just act the way that they act. So having another organisation, but I feel like we've had a lot of these time managing organisations. We've had two in this show and one in Loki, so we've had a lot of those. (laughs) If you consider three to be a lot, which I do. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> it's a lot of one thing. There's a lot of different bits and pieces to set up. And then Booster is a prisoner of them, which makes sense. I like the idea of sticking someone in a time loop as a punishment type thing, as in you have to preserve this fixed point as a punishment 
That makes sense with Eobard Thawne, even though I've completely lost track of what version of Thawne is doing what at any given point. <laughs> it doesn't matter anymore. It's never mattered. Who cares at this point? Also, he dies, which, again, where does that factor in in relation to The Flash at this point? The writers don't think about it, so why should I? We'll never know. But Booster Gold is stuck in that as a punishment for something, and... I guess he's ratting out the legends as a maybe reduced sentence type thing, or I don't know. Again, that's next season's writer's problem, assuming there is a next season. It's really quite funny, the fact that they're going to be in a prison next season and they've lost the two actors from Prison Break, (laughs) who would be really useful in the next season. Uh, They can come back. Sure. They lock up Mick as well. And they get snarked for some reason. <laughs> That's it. I think you've just got to do the full prison break thing next season. You've got to have someone with a tattoo of the time prison on their back and all that sort of stuff. I mean, you <laughs> just got to properly lead into it and just do it in full ridiculousness. Yeah, why not? Just go for it. Just throw yourself into it. Mr. Gold is good. Incidentally, in the comics, he is Rip Hunter's father, which I doubt will be the case here. Oh, Okay. Like I say, I don't think that'll be the case here. I don't really know much about Booster Gold, I've got to be honest. I don't know enough. I always say when I come on these podcasts, I don't know enough about the DC comics. I've not read as many of them as I've read Marvel. Did you see the episode of Smallville he was in? Probably did, but I can't remember it. I've not finished my Smallville rewatch. It's still very much work in progress. He's in an episode in the 10th season. It's the one that they introduced Blue Beetle as well. So they they bring all that in. There's no Blue Beetle here, at least not yet. So this is the second live-action adaptation of Booster Gold that there is. He's also quite... Not prominent, but he's a part of the Justice League animated TV show as well. He has a role in that. And it's what I was talking about. He's put on some of the easier jobs where he can't do any damage and he wants to prove himself, but he's just not that good. And that's kind of who Booster Gold is. And I think getting Donald Faison, if that's how you pronounce his name, to play him is a great choice because he has that charming arrogance. I like the idea that he just doesn't have anything to back that up. He thinks he's great, but he isn't. He's just not very good at what he does. And that's a great actor to portray that because, well, we know what he was like as Turk and Scrubs, where he was justifiably hmm. confident, shall we say. Whereas in this, he's kind of unjustifiably arrogant. And that puts him in a perfect position to be a legend for a while because he, he has to learn what he's good at or learn his place and things like that. So if not a fixture on the show, then at least a temporary arc that they could throw him into, especially since he probably won't be doing that Powerpuff show anymore <laughs> yeah sorry you can't do the powerpuff show here we'll make your legend instead that's a classic cw thing isn't it we've cast you in this thing it's not going to work out probably do you want to do this instead and he's like yeah yeah sure why not we'll put you in one of our other big ips instead as a sorry for wasting your time doing two pilots for powerpuff girls yeah carla was in batwoman as well she turned up for <laughs> a couple of episodes of that and Zach Braff is in the Cheaper by the Dozen remake, so the Scrubs cast are doing variable levels of things. <laughs> variable levels of stuff. I think he would be a good fit on the team, and like you say, like we're used to, it's a character that maybe needs to learn a lesson through being a legend for a little bit. Maybe he won't stay as a permanent fixture, but enough time to sort of learn a lesson about teamwork and all that sort of business. Yeah, for sure. Or just... Finding his place, finding his purpose, finding what he's good at. Finding out how not to be useless or put in useless situations. But yeah, I liked him as an introduction. He also appears in a photograph in a Flash episode. The most recent Flash episode at time of recording. They're making use of him, I suppose. So there we go. Booster Gold. uh, Unexpected yet welcome addition to the show. Let's talk about some of our maybe highlight episodes, notable moments, notable episodes. So what did you think of the 100th episode as a good celebration of 
what the show was, what the show is, what the show could be through Gideon examining her memories of the team as the not quite outside observer, but she was outside enough in the sense that she was all around them, but not really part of them but also well being part of them. I always commend the writers when they manage to find a way to make a clips or a hundred celebration where they're pulling all these different things and work. And I think they did it really well here. Having it that she's going through her memories and trying to pick through different things. So you're getting scenes that we've already seen interspersed with little bits that have added in, little character moments and things that I just thought was really good. I thought the way they did the 100th worked. Having her as a in-person observer and then she would reply as Gideon in the moment as well as she sort of slowly remembered what was going on and then it also gave you the chance to have legends pursued by legends again you had the robo legends and then in this you had the memories of the legends being used to flush the virus out yeah. and then you had karaoke of course which and is karaoke so amy louise pemberton can also sing which is another one of those please save some talent for the rest of us type thing. <laughs> and I think they did good with the old character cameos. Jax being the recovery mode type software almost within Gideon was really good with his, I don't know if it's a natural British accent. I don't know if he's actually British. It was either his natural voice or he decided to put on a British accent, whichever. But he slot into that role that Gideon remembers him there. You had a bit of snart. They didn't do much with him. Hawkman was there. And then you had pre-leadership Sarah as well in that moment that was good that was a really good one where she was like I can't imagine leading this crowd or whatever it was it's one of those pointed ha 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 we know where you end up type lines but I think it worked because it really showed her as this angry just recently resurrected assassin that doesn't have any connections really again it's a nice way of showing here's how far the show has come in 100 episodes yeah it's doing a remember when the character was like this that they managed to pull and yeah I, I thought it was pretty effective as they did it and it was a nice 100th episode i mean legends of tomorrow who would think 100 episodes who it's also really late for 100 episodes isn't it normally in the arrowverse we're used to but season five being the 100th episode mm. whereas this is season seven because obviously they have shorter seasons which is welcomed in many ways yes because there's less time being wasted but yeah it's quite late for 100 episode in the context of the other shows that we've watched and talked about but they got there and they did it and they did a really good one. I really liked it. Being chased by the programming that she would end up externally fighting against in future, stuff like that. So yeah, it was really cool. And they left out some of the characters, but they managed to throw in quite a few cameos, especially filming during COVID times. Remember, those are still times that we're having. Filming during that, and they managed to throw in so many different former players. Yeah, that's true. They managed to fit loads of people in and mix stunt double as well. And a Bebo pinata. And a Bebo pinata, yes. Got to be Bebo. There's another bit of merchandising that we're not going to get. Yeah, we demand Bebo. If you're going to cancel the show, at least put the last of your filming budget into merchandising Bebo. Please give us the standard Furby type Bebo thing, the pinata, pencil case, Funko Pop, whatever. Give us whatever merchandise. I will buy all of it. CW, just do it. You have to. You've had this thing for so long and you've done nothing with it. It's a crime. If you don't want to make the money off of it, we will. And then we'll get sued, which will be great for using their IP <laughs> to make plushies or whatever. <laughs> so yeah, 100th episode, they did a good one. The reality TV show episode, we've alluded to it, but that was one of my favourite episodes of the season. I just thought it was so good. As someone that doesn't like reality TV, 
I found it really interesting because sometimes when you don't like something and then a show that you watch lampoons it in this way, Legends is always lampooning different things. They've lampooned sitcoms, stuff like The Masked Singer, stuff like that. Again, stuff I don't watch, but they always do it in a way that's respectful to the thing that exists because obviously it has its fans and there will be some overlap with people that watch this show and watch those types of shows. So they don't look at that show as if to say, this is stupid and you shouldn't watch it and here's why it's stupid because of what we're doing. It's almost a respectful and realistic depiction of that thing. Realistic in inverted commas because it's time-travelling superheroes who are in a pocket dimension that's outside hell, apparently. But I think it was believably a reality TV show without insulting the whole concept of reality TV, which I found interesting because I hate reality TV. I just can't watch it. Yeah, I thought it was done well. It wasn't my favourite of their TV pastiches that they've done over time, but I think it was done well. The Making of Alliances, the diary room style sequence for them talking, things like Spooner going, oh, I know how to win this. You just get naked and walk through the house. That's how this works. (laughs) It was playing up lots of different tropes. The Alliances, the new person gets introduced into the group and starts disrupting stuff. All that that they did, I thought, was neatly done. Yeah, and the fact that Zari understood what was going on because mm. she knows reality TV. No, the thing wants us to hook up and we're not going to do it. And then you had Nate becoming the kind of meathead, working out with his spray tan and stuff like that. And even putting on the, I think it was a Jersey accent he was trying to do, that really exaggerated accent. He, Nick Zeno's good with his voice. He really is. I would like to see him do more stuff, actually, just more comedy stuff like that, where he was just working out all the time, just lifting weights and complaining about whatever was going on, acting like an idiot. That was great. The alliances, as you say. Sarah just being a bit of a real housewife. Why can't I do my nails? Why can't we go on vacation? Why do I have to do all this responsibility? Someone else do it. Like I said before, it's a dialed-up expression of feelings that she already has, because the weight of responsibility has always been on her or has been ever since she became a captain. So the desire to run away from that and just give up on that all will be there. And the fact, yeah, she's feeling a bit overwhelmed by everything was good. We're stuck in 1920 odd. We can't get out of this. This is just too much. I'm out. Her (laughs) desire to just give up was believable. But Sarah would never give up unless manipulated in that way, which she was. And then, like I say, Ava becoming hyper-organised, I like that, oh my God, I'm turning into the implanted memories of my mother. And then it, <laughs> it cuts to her banging on the pot. Dinner, Sarah's like, come for dinner. Mm-hmm. Or like, wash up before dinner. Or whatever. It was great. It was shot like a reality TV show, which really helped. I agree with you. They always do well when they do these Mickey takes. I remember when they did a sort of Star Trek version at one point as well, where they were jumping through all the different TV shows and doing different bits. They always shoot these things really well. I think the crew and the directors enjoy taking elements from what they are parodying and doing it well. Yeah, definitely. I think they just love having fun with what the show can be. It's a bit like Supernatural in that way, because they did sitcom episodes, they did... They didn't do reality TV. They did do found footage, though. They did a found footage episode in Supernatural. It's like different techniques and things. When you think about the directors and the creatives and stuff that are behind it, the cinematographers and all that, that the work behind the scenes of the show, it's like they're getting to play with someone else's toolbox for a little bit, using different tools and different techniques that they don't get to use every week on the show. So I imagine that would come as a little bit of a relief. Maybe it's not. Maybe they're really frustrated because they're like, no, I signed on to work on this superhero show. I know exactly what I'm doing with that. Stop giving me weird stuff to do. But I imagine if you're working on 
on it for such a long time that you get to the point where you're like, oh, do you know what? This is going to be really cool. I'm looking forward to it. This is going to be different. Reality TV is what we want to do. We're doing it this week. We're going to have fun with it. It was a bit like when you watched completely different universe, but like the behind the scenes stuff of One Division, where they had like a studio audience and they were doing stuff on a soundstage. The creative people behind that were just really excited about doing that kind of show. Yeah, when they did the sitcom, well, they've done a sitcom twice, but the one that they did that had the characters in it because they had the show within the show that was the sitcom, the one that inspired Bayrad, that was last season. Mm. But the season before they had the one that was essentially Friends and that they did the canned laughter and so on. I don't know if they shot it in front of a live studio audience for that one, but they replicated that experience as much as possible. And like you say, they did Star Trek in that one. They did Downton Abbey in that one as well and shot it like that. And that was all within the span of a single episode. So in in that one, it was mostly just reality TV filming techniques Mm. until they obviously broke the spell and, and got to live with that. And it was very good. And it was a lot of fun. Maybe not their best departure from format but certainly a notable one another big episode for me was the fixed point episode which was a lot of fun i like the montage side of it the groundhog day almost it's not the first time loop episode they've done obviously they did the one that zari was stuck in although she wasn't really stuck in it it was a simulation by gideon but doesn't matter it was still a time loop but this is the second one they've done but i like the trial and error approach we've got an invincible character we have an unwinnable situation we're just going to keep repeating it until such times as she wins. And that's when you they do the reveal that Thawne and stuff. But I'll do like the different ways that she fails. Getting hit by a car or getting shot or the blow dart backfiring, that kind of stuff. I love seeing the different ways that she could die. It reminded me a bit of Edge of Tomorrow, actually, in some ways. Yeah, definitely Edge of Tomorrow, where he's trying to loop through the going underneath the tires of the truck and all that sort of stuff going on. She was getting hit in the face with a ladder. <laughs> The thing is, that was using the ability they had given her last season to advantage. It was like they figured out, oh, we can actually do this because there'd be a reason that no one else would succeed because they're never going to get through that entire gambit without dying. All the other time travellers that are there in the fixed point bar, they've not got that opportunity to retry and retry and retry and retry. They can do it once. And then that's it. Where Sarah can go in and do it again and again and again. I'd written that down as one of my favourite episodes because of that. Again, it was the way that they used the team to strategise. You got a couple of little character beats inside the bar while Sarah was working as well. I think it's a shame that they introduced all these different time travellers. They build a relationship with these time travellers during that episode. And then during the next one, they just write them all off. (laughs) The robo-legends just cut through the rest of the time travellers in the next episode. I was like, oh, that's such a shame. <laughs> yeah, they just get decimated. You could introduce them again because they're time travelers, so they'll have weird, wacky timelines. We were talking about Fawn earlier on, and I imagine it'll be the same. I did enjoy the beats through that where they turned up and they were getting treated as a bit of a joke by the other time travelers. Like, yeah, we know who you are and we don't take you seriously. And then by the end of it, everyone's rooting for them in the bar. Yeah, it was good. And the thing about time loop stuff is you have to keep finding different ways to make it creative and they kept making it creative and using Sarah as the perfect character for something like that because she is so skilled, she'll never make the same mistake twice. Some of the mistakes she made were kind of stupid, just not noticing that there was a car coming and stuff like that. But also the fact is she just learned every single time, nope, this is when this happens, I can stop that now. And then finding out why the fixed point was preventing her from taking action when they suddenly discover that there's a guy there stopping them. And it's a bit of Spooner's ability points them to that, so that almost explains why no one else has noticed this 
in the eternity that's been spent trying to prevent this fixed point. So that works in the sense of it was only the legends that could figure this out. That's fine. It doesn't make everybody else stupid by association, which is great. But one thing that also bothered me was how they immediately concluded that someone's freezing time when they know that speedsters exist. That Maybe someone isn't. Maybe someone is just that fast. And then the mm-hmm. hilarious thing is when they revealed who it was, it turned out it was a speedster, but they weren't using their speed. So that made it even more glaring that they never noticed the fact that this could be someone that runs really fast. It's a small thing and it's not important, but it still annoyed me. It didn't annoy me as much. I would normally be quite picky about that kind of thing. So I guess now that you've pointed it out, I've got to agree with you. Because <laughs> now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, in this world, there are other ways of that happening. So I guess so. And then they set up a thing through Thon. Let's not even try and interrogate which version of Thon is this? When did this happen? How did this happen? It was supposed to be after he was defeated at the end of season two of Legends, kind of, but we don't know where that factors in with the version that's currently still active in The Flash. But again, the writers don't think about it, so let's not think about it because we'll drive ourselves nuts thinking about it, so let's not do it. And having it be Thon made sense because it gets you around the whole concept of we need to introduce who this person is, we need to explain who they are, we need to explain why they're here, because we already know who Thon is, and he already has a pre-existing relationship with Sarah and the Legends. So you can cut out a lot of the unnecessary exposition at that point, even though it feels like the episode really slows down when it gets to that point, actually, because it just suddenly turns into them just having a chat for a bit. And then they set up that threat of Sarah ending up being the guardian of the fixed point if they fail, which does happen, and then they just chuck Robonate into it and the problem is solved. So they set up a problem and they set up a potential pitfall that just doesn't happen. I guess so, but it adds threat within that episode and the next episode. So it does kind of achieve its purpose. I get what you're saying, that it doesn't leave Sarah trapped at that fixed point or anything. They do work around it, but it adds in threat for that episode and also for the majority of the next episode because you're like, well, how are they going to resolve this at the end? And you get the moment with Sarah going, well, that's me now. This is my life. I'm now going to be protecting this fixed point. And they work their way around it. The way that they did it was a bit dopey, even for Legends just a little bit but at the end I was like okay you did it you got around that particular bit but the threat was there so it kind of worked to raise stakes a little bit because I don't know what else you could have had as stakes in there considering her immortality the fact that he can just loop time back again anyway I don't know what the threat would be what he could bargain with at that point I mean, obviously they put it in as a, okay, here's the cost of failure type thing and here's the price of me agreeing to help you with this. That's fine. It's just that it doesn't pay off. And I get what we're going with, with the fact that Nate refused to let it happen. Yeah, they're a family. They look out for each other and together they can accomplish more than they can apart. That stuff is fine. But it just felt like a bit of an empty threat, really, because associated with the Robo Legends, it just doesn't really come to much. Although now that I've been thinking about it, it didn't really occur to me at the time, but I wonder if the next season, if it happens, the eternal qualifier of if it happens, I wonder if that will start with the legends all split across different fixed points that they have to protect. Because that seems to be what those guys, whoever they are, do as punishment. Oh, that would be interesting, actually. So what, instead of having them in prison, you've got each one of them defending a fixed point. Yeah, someone breaks out of it, or is there anyone? No, none of the characters are free of it, are they? No, none of them are. They were all on the Wave Rider at the time. But then you've got Sarah. Sarah's pregnant, so they might not put her to protect a fixed point. So that would mean she would be outside of a loop, and then it's Sarah slowly going and getting around all the fixed points. 
yeah getting the band back together type situation yeah 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 so you could you could have that kind of thing where it's sarah that breaks out and then she's got to go and collect everyone that's at the fix oh that's an interesting way of doing it actually but then you have half a season that is just that yeah exactly i was about to say maybe even if you paired up a couple of the legends to do it but then like you say the strength in legends is the ensemble it's having them together and it's very tricky when they split the teams and they managed to split the team a couple of times this year and they still made it work but then i think if you spent a long time with just sarah going to get ava and then next you've got sarah ava going to get Astra and Spooner somewhere and then it's Astra, Spooner, Sarah, Ava go to get Gary. It's such a slow build thing. They could probably make it fun but the dynamic is getting to see everyone interacting isn't it? Yeah they could probably sustain it over an episode or two and obviously we had Sarah away from the entire team for an extended period the previous season so we've had that too and yeah like you say they split the party earlier this season until Gideon found them and so on. So, yeah, who knows? But I feel like that's probably where we'll be at at the beginning of next season, probably, if there is one qualifier. If there is one qualifier, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Terms and conditions apply. Was there any other notable episodes that you enjoyed that you wanted to reference? I quite liked the War Effort episode, episode seven, the one set during the war. I kind of liked the way that all worked out where Astra sort of took over the running of the factory. She ends up brainwashing the leader. It all sort of starts to escalate. And then you've got Gideon sort of filling the role of secretary. And I did like that episode. It was one of my favourite ones. That and maybe the speakeasy episode I thought was a bit of fun. Something that had been like a running thing. The fact that John Constantine had a fridge that constantly had a bottle of whiskey in it. And they kept it as like a running gag. And then in that episode, it properly pays off where they become suppliers during Prohibition because they've got this magic door where they can pull out as many bottles of whiskey as they want. Those were good ones. And the war effort one with Astra in that leadership position, it made sense because I used to run hell. So this is perfect for me. I know what I'm doing here. Yeah. The penultimate episode where they were all looking at their futures, there was some pretty moving stuff in there. I thought that was really good. Bayrad's little TV show. <laughs> His kids' musical show thing, that was good. And the bit where Zari says to him, I'm not collaborating with you, we're not doing that. You're on your own. That was a good one. I did like getting to see a glimpse into the futures. Like I said earlier on, if you deleted the, the double cross at the end bit and obviously the final episode, then you could almost have that as a sort of finale because you're getting to see where their future could potentially lead. You can imagine the show could have finished there with them having their Wednesday night dinner thing and fade out. That could have been the end of the show. It could still potentially be the end of the show. Yeah, and there was some really poignant stuff in that. When they did the big photograph together and you saw the different people just fading out, of the photograph, it was that suggestion. Yeah. This Wednesday thing, we'll do that for a while, but eventually we'll just stop doing it. It's that whole idea of when we're not forced into being together, these relationships will drift apart as a natural part of life. And that doesn't necessarily have to be a bad thing. I mean, it is a bad thing because those connections have changed to the point where you barely have them anymore. But at the same time, it's just a natural part of friendship, a natural part of growth, a natural part of developing as people. You sometimes grow apart and it's sort of nobody's fault it just kind of happens i mean they are a family but it's the workplace thing isn't it there's only maybe a handful of people you keep in touch with once you stop working with them 
And then the final episode shows that they're all putting the effort in to meet up, at least the ones that can. They never really question where Gary is, and they already think that Gwyn has given up early on. So they just kind of accept that. Every once in a while, there'll be just someone that just doesn't turn up. It is one of those things. You make the plans and it's, oh, we'll meet up. We'll meet up every week. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll still be in touch. We'll still be filming. You can even take it from recent examples of being at work and maybe people that you chat to each day at work. And then at the beginning of COVID and stuff, you're maybe instant messaging each other or emailing and go, God, this is a bit weird, isn't it? This is odd. Anyway, how are you doing? What's up with this? And then slowly that frequency of contact drops because you're not seeing them every day to have a chat. That kind of thing ends up happening. Yeah, totally. It's just a natural part of everything, and it's a bit of a shame. That's the way life is. Impermanence is the only permanent thing, I suppose. I don't know. Getting a bit philosophical there. So on that note, I think it's probably a good point to wrap up. Is there any final things that you wanted to make sure that we mentioned that we left out? No, I just I obviously hope that they get their other season. Even if it is the final season of Legends, I would like for them to actually get a final season so that they can pull people in, so they can do it Legends-style final season, rather than just to be cancelled without them getting the right to reply. I think it would be good, even if they got a shorter season or a little bit, I think it would be good for them to have one final hurrah. I think they deserve that. So yeah, I would really like to have another season from them. Same. And here's my theory. I think they will give it another season. It seems that things are up in the air at the moment with the CW possibly being up for sale. Our bid is still on the table, CW. The longer you wait to respond, the more likely it'll be that I'll eat those mini cheddars. For now, the offer is still on the table. But I feel like they'll have some level of loyalty to the show to say, we're going to give you one more season. It's like when they decided they were going to finish Supergirl, they said, we'll give you one more season. And I think that they almost owe it to the show in a way. They owe it to these shows because they've been on for so long to just say, oh yeah, that's it. That's all she wrote. See you later. Stop it. Away you go. And I don't think they'll be unkind to the show and the production team. And if you consider how much recognition Greg Berlanti has created through the Arrowverse by running it for so long, I don't think they would say to him, we're just going to finish this now. We're going to leave questions unanswered. We're going to leave arcs unresolved. We're going to leave people wanting because the show never finished. I don't think they'll do that. So whether they renew it for a mini series or just as a this is your final season. I know that the Flash finale has been written as if it could be a series and season finale which is kind of how the Arrow season seven finale was written. It could end mm. the show, but also they had season eight, shorter season eight, but they had it. So yeah, I don't think they'll end this. It's just that they haven't bothered to announce renewal yet, but all the timings are all over the place. I and mean, the fact is it's March and that's when it finished. It was unusual. Normally it's May we're having this conversation. COVID ruined that with a lot of ways. Remember when we had two weeks between last season finishing and this season starting. It was really short, yeah. So we'll see. Announcement will be pending. Maybe by the time this podcast comes out, what I've just said is irrelevant because they've either renewed or cancelled it. Either way, it could be irrelevant. But I think that they'll show some respect and give it at least the opportunity to finish on its own terms. 100%, like I say. Even if they get one long episode or something just something to wrap it up because it seems really unfair if they just get cancelled without being able to finish it up otherwise they might just edit the second last episode and then that's it or just leave us on that cliffhanger that they resolve in superman or something like that (laughs) resolved off screen yeah they just bring booster gold into superman and he tells you oh yeah the legends they're fine they're defending fixed points so that's it job done so yeah wrap up thoughts on season seven of legends then 
pretty much what I said at the beginning. Really enjoyed this season. I thought the character work and stuff that they did was strong. It's one of the Arrowverse shows that I've stuck with. They've stayed, barring season one, pretty much. They've stayed pretty consistent with what they've done, and I still think they can do something with it for at least a season. Every time I go into Legends, I'm like, could this be the last one? Could this be the last one? But with this, I want to see another season. Yeah, but this is the only one that feels like it's building to something of an end point. Mm. Which is fine. The fact that something builds to an ending is fine because what's the alternative? We watch The Flash where characters don't really progress. I watch The Flash, you don't. You escaped. Yeah, I escaped. I found the hatch. (laughs) You're not stuck in a fixed point trying to fix this show. That'll be what happens to the legends. They get stuck in the Flash and they have to keep it from derailing but they can't but it's, it's good that there's that sense of progression and that the characters are evolving that their relationships are deepening they're getting to the point where they don't need to be doing this anymore and they get to a point where they can just naturally part company that's great i love that idea i would rather that than just the show continue forever with just repeating the same stuff over and over again until you get to the point where yeah it's still funny but i'm not quite sure why i'm still watching it i'd hate to get to that point just where it's this bland malaise that you're just kind of still watching. We've had seven years of it. If we get an eighth, and that eighth is, we're going to build up to the point where we're stopping this. Cool. I'll be happy with that. And I like this season. I thought it was a really good one. I would say a return to form, but that's being ungenerous about the last season, because the last season wasn't bad. It just wasn't as good as it had been as such. So this season, the change in format refreshed it quite a lot for me. It was a really nice touch. It really, I'm not going to say reinvigorated the show, but It kind of did. It gave it a shot in the arm. It removed a lot of the resources. It showed how the characters could operate without the usual trappings. It it gave you something different. And it added into that progression thing because they all had to face parts of themselves that they can't hide from anymore because they're not just moving on to the next thing. So, yeah, it's a great show. And I will miss it if they decide to finish it. But also will feel like it's maybe time. It's come to time. Yeah, I think one season is fair. I don't know where they could go. And like you said, if you start dropping too many characters out the show, it won't be the same. So I think before more of the cast decide to make their exit, give them a final season, wrap it up, it's done good. Definitely. So, yeah, that's a good point to end, I suppose. So, Chris, thanks for joining for possibly discussing the final season of Legends. If not, I'll see you next year for the maybe final season of Legends. Thank you very much. And I'm sure either me or my duplicate will be here. Yes, I'll build a robot. I'm just going to build podcasting robots. That means I don't have to do anything. I'll build a robot me so they can record and edit the podcast. That'd be amazing. I just don't have to do anything. That's the dream. It is very much the dream. Until that happens, though, that has been our discussion of Legends of Tomorrow Season 7. I would like to thank Neil Stenson, as usual, for the supplied music. If you enjoyed what you listened to here, please do subscribe to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you get your podcasts. If you're listening to this, there's a good chance you're on a feed where you can subscribe. Please do that. If you're listening to us on a thing where you can rate us, that Apple Podcast, and I believe Spotify started doing it now, maybe some other platforms, anywhere you can hit a rating, thumbs up, or give us a star rating, though... Chris, do you know what star rating you would actually prefer, if possible? I believe it's five stars. It's five stars. Couldn't come up with a Legends-related pun to five stars, but... Five stars, five Legends? There's more than five Legends. Seven stars for seven seasons? Don't know. I can't come up with an idea. 
five upgrades, 100 episodes, 100 stars. Give us a rating of some sort. 100 stars. It's got to be above five. Five or above. There we go. We've sorted it. Minimum of five. <laughs> and leave us a comment with the real number of stars you want to give us. But yeah, if you want to talk to us about Legends of Tomorrow, DC's multiverse, the Arrowverse, anything really, you can catch us on Facebook or Twitter under New Before Blog, or you can just leave a comment under the show notes on newbeforeblog.co.uk. But otherwise, we hope you'll join us next time on Neil Before Pod.